Good morning. We're glad that you are with us today and that you've chosen to join us. want to share several things with you today and just a couple of reminders that um, if you are interested in volunteering with the food pantry at Redmond United Methodist Church, uh, you do need to sign up. Just trying to keep uh, not too many volunteers showing up at one time as a result of uh, just social distancing, but also making sure that all the needs are taken care of. But you can actually volunteer for more than just showing up to give out food. You can actually volunteer to pack bags and unload food from trucks. There's all kinds of things that happen this week before Thursday. Uh, you can sign up on Sign Up Genius. It will tell you where to be, when, what day you're signing up for, the amount of time that you're committing to. And then if you are in need of food, you just have to show up. You don't have to sign up for that. You just show up um, between 4.30 and 6. You're gonna, it's a drive-through. So as you drive through, someone will come out to your car and will put boxes in your trunk. You don't have to have any contact with anybody at all. Um, and so we would love for you to take advantage of one of those um, options. And also just want to update you on a couple of prayer requests. Um, we are thankful that uh, last week we talked about the Shriner family and Jessica's grandfather who had COVID and was, things were not looking good. Uh, he has turned around and even though still has some other health issues, uh, is doing really well and is, is out of the hospital. So continue to pray for him and their family, but that is good news. We're happy about that. Uh, we also shared if you're in our, our private group and uh, if if you're not, you can join that. If you're a part of Journey, we try not to fill it with just a bunch of people who are curious about Journey. But if you call Journey your home, we want it to be a place where you can communicate with each other and we can talk and we can have kind of a semi-private conversation there. Um, but also reveal that we've been praying for Karen's brother and he did pass away this week. So be in prayer for their family and uh, they're going to be going through the motions of the service and things that need to be done. Uh, in Virginia, where they live, and uh, so be in prayer for them through this difficult time as well. Um, I want to talk to you in a very candid way about a topic that in the church we don't typically do a good job with, and as we even talk about just the prayer requests that we've had, and we talk about the differences between a family member that does well and a family member uh, that succumbs to COVID-19. One of the things that we struggle with in the church is talking about joy to the degree that we recognize there are sad things that happen in the world. The reality is there are lots of sad things happening right now. And for many of us, we uh, struggle to feel happy in the way that we think we're supposed to be happy when we have so many things going on. And we've kind of gone through that list of things over the last few weeks. And, and uh, I'm thinking back to, especially to a week that Paul Schreiner spoke and uh, he was talking about some, one of the, one day in particular for them where everything went wrong. And uh, let's uh, just remember that sometimes those days happen. And sometimes there are terribly sad days that we have to endure. Oftentimes in the church, the way we talk about joy is this. If you're not joyful, there's something wrong with you, right? If you're not feeling happy, like your perspective is wrong and you're not thinking about Jesus and, and Jesus isn't Lord of your life. And somehow we, we kind of hide when we're sad or we're down or we're depressed because what we don't want somebody to do is to judge us and to say something to the effect of, well, well Mark, because he's sad, uh, clearly has something wrong with his relationship with Jesus. Now, I don't think anyone who's listening to me would assume that, but at, in the church, it may surprise some of us that that is the way some Christians talk about sadness. 
When we look back at kind of our history of joy and understanding joy, Scripture does tell us that this, is, this should be a way of life for us. But what does that mean? What is joy? Sometimes we'll say there's a difference between joy and happiness, but a lot of times we don't really know what that difference is. So I want to kind of have a, have a candid conversation with you about that, and, and a little unconventional in the sense that uh, my, my main uh, thesis for what we're going to go through for the rest of this morning has nothing to do with if you have a strong faith, you will always be happy. There, there's not a lot of truth to that statement. So as we go through this, I hope you'll follow with me, and I hope we'll recognize that we are all juggling good and bad things, happy and sad things. Aristotle said many, many, many years ago, he said, happiness is the ultimate goal at which all humans aim, which is true, isn't it? We in America, in the United States of America, feel that we have some kind of a foothold on what happiness is, and we've even, we've even wrapped our entire nation around the idea of the pursuit of happiness, as if it's something that we should all be aiming for. But what happens when your life isn't happy? You know, we've been through a pandemic. We're still in a pandemic. As Scott said, we're working on ways so that when we come back, we have a relaunch into some new things. And as I've shared with you over the past few weeks, there have been some uh, some really good moments for me over this last year where I've been able to create some margin and think differently about where we're going as a church, kind of getting off the hamster wheel or the treadmill of uh, of trying to just do the week after week after week thing and say, well, how, how has the world changed? How is the world different? How do we move forward as the church today and a people that truly love Jesus, follow Jesus, and interact in the world that is not the way that it was just a year ago. So I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to move to that quickly. But this has been a hard time. For others, it's been a hard time because, uh, and, and I don't want to rehash things we talked about last week. Last week we talked about sadness and the reality that some of us have gone through kind of a deep sadness. I, I struggle sometimes on a daily basis with sadness that, has to do with not being around the people I care about for long periods of time. Some days I, I'm very hopeful about the future and I'm very focused on the future. A lot of my prayer with right now with, with God is simply this, help me stay focused on where you're taking us, not stay focused on where we've been because there's some sadness kind of in the past or maybe the fear that what was will not be again. Maybe you feel that as well, there's a sadness over what some of my kids have, have not experienced this year that I kind of hope they would experience. There's a sadness over our friends that we've lost or our friends that we've lost touch with or relationships that have, have suffered the, the damage of an increasing political separation in our nation in which we really go after each other now because we have different opinions. And now relationships that once were strong and vibrant are now distant and damaged. Those things make me sad. Some days I think mostly of the sad things. Other days I think mostly of the great things that God has done over this last year. The problem with our pursuit of happiness is that you can't live that way every single day if happiness is a feeling which it is for the most part in our English language when we talk about the emotion of happiness. We are talking about a feeling, a, a, a feeling of pleasure. But how do you constantly feel this joy that Scripture tells us should be an everyday thing for the follower of Jesus 
when we don't always feel happy. One of the ways we can do that, and one of the ways some people try to do that, is we just try to be as oblivious to the negative things as possible. And I want to tell you, I spent some time kind of looking through some memes for, for people who are living life who are oblivious, and I just want to warn you right up front that if you take that rabbit hole, it will do two things for you. Number one, it will bring you great joy, and number two, you will get lost in the search for memes on oblivion. I wanted to share a few with you, although there's a bunch that I had to cut out um, of people that are living their life choosing oblivious. Here's the first one. The text message. I may have been guilty of this myself. I need your number for Johnny. He just came in. Texting that to someone. Okay. You realize you just texted my number, right? LOL. Yeah, but I don't know your number. LOL. Now, that's an oblivious person. How did you... Text them if you don't have their number. All right, next one. Now, I, you, this takes a minute. This is a poll the audience on uh, a game show. The question is, equal to roughly 746 watts, what animal-based unit is used to measure the rate at which work is done? These are your options. A, horsepower. B, Donkey strength, C, llama thrust, or D, zebra force. Now, that's not particularly funny in and of itself until you see the polling data that is up in the left-hand corner, and you find that only 71% of the people polled said horsepower. 10% of the people polled said that the animal-based unit to measure the rate at which work is done was donkey strength. Another 10% said it was llama thrust. And a full 9% said it was zebra force. For example, what you got under that hood? I've got about 450 zebra force. How about you? What have you got? The answers themselves aren't that funny, but the fact that somebody thinks that's a real measure, a unit of measure is pretty oblivious. It's pretty hilarious. All right, next one. I'm selling an iPhone 6S Plus. It's not in the picture because I use it to take the pic, but this is how big it is. Asking $340. That's living life somewhat oblivious. Next one. Let that soak in. Just, just take a look. If you're at home and you can't see that, she's wearing a shirt that says she's my queen. He's wearing a shirt that says he's my king. I don't know who they're talking about here. I think it's... Possible they got their shirts mixed up. Is there another one? Did I put another one up there? Yeah, oh yes. I love this one. <laughs> He's stuffing his face with a Subway sandwich while reading a book on fasting. He's prepping. He's prepping. So the answer for some people is that I just want to live my life in, in, the, in a form of oblivion. I, just, I want to be oblivious to all the bad things that happen. And I will tell you there are a lot of people that they have chosen that course of life. And then there are some people that it just comes naturally. They just, they just miss so many things, and they often tend to be a little happier than the rest of us. As we come through this conversation on joy, I want to kind of get, tell you where we're headed and, 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 and kind of what I want to lead you through. And, and then I want to lead you through it. The first... Um, presupposition I want to share with you is this, that joy is the secret meaning of life. Joy is the secret meaning of life, which is, by the way, available to anyone. Joy is the secret meaning of life. And then we want to talk about we've forgotten 
what joy is because you and I, we live in a world of sadness. We've forgotten. Then we're going to talk about it's hard to grow without it. The last thing I want to share with you is that God's kingdom cannot grow without joy. So as we come through this, joy is the secret meaning of life. It is the thing that gives us purpose. Sadness does not give us purpose. Sadness helps us to recognize what we've lost or what we miss, but it also prepares us for those moments where we have sheer joy. It is the thing that we look for. The reason that our Constitution says we are pursuing happiness, the reason that Aristotle says the main aim of every human that's ever walked the planet is happiness is because that is a place that we want to stay. It's a place where we want to be. And a lot of times when we look at somebody and we try to judge, well, how successful have they been at living their life? We look at them and we assess them based on the simple question of how happy are they? Maybe we have different criteria for that. How much do they laugh? How much do they smile. I don't know about you, but we've known people in our lives that never smile. Have you ever known somebody that when they smile, like you don't even recognize them anymore? Like you're afraid they're going to break something in their face. If they smile, their, their, their face is just permanently in a frown. They're just always down. We've known people within our lives that they just seem to always see the negative in the world. But in reality, is joy is what we're searching for. When we, we talk about Jesus, Jesus shares with us what it means to have joy and what joy looks like, what it was like for him. Next week, we're going to talk about hope. And the reality is, is part of the reason Jesus went to the cross was, Scripture tells us in Hebrews, the joy that was set before him led him to the cross. Most of us, our definition of happiness or joy does not allow for that interpretation. That it was for joy that Jesus was nailed to a cross. We, we, don't, we can't even go there because in our minds, suffering and happiness are two completely different things. And depending on how we define those things, that would say you are correct. Joy is the secret meaning of life. It's the thing that we're all longing for. It's the thing that we're all searching for. It's the thing that many of us are missing and we want to have and we're not sure how to get it back. Also believe we've forgotten what joy is because we live in a world of sadness, not just now, but even before the pandemic, there were plenty of sad things in the world. The fact that we talk about doom scrolling in Facebook or Twitter or whatever your preferred place is, there's plenty of sadness in the world. One of the effective ways to raise money for a nonprofit is to put as many sad images on the screen and say, you can solve this for $28 a month. That sadness peaks us, it draws us in. There's plenty of sadness that goes around in the world. Even through this election season, there's been plenty of sadness through this election season and on into this new future in which we're holding to. This, there's plenty of uncertainty. When we look at the language of joy, I think one of the reasons that we struggle with this as Americans is because our language is a little different than other languages that talk about joy. Remember, I was in seminary and we learned Greek and Hebrew. I, one of the things that became very apparent very quickly is that our language is very inadequate based on the other languages of the world. 
Like we ourselves do not use enough language to adequately communicate nuance, which is one of the reasons we don't understand nuance anymore today. Whenever we come up and we meet somebody, what's the standard greeting? Hey, what is it? How are you, right? And the standard answer to the standard greeting that we all give is probably the same for most of us. I'm, what's the word? Well, okay, good. I'm fine. It's the one I'm thinking of. How are you today? I'm fine. But the reality is that the word fine can mean lots of different things, can it? <laughs> like, how are you today? I'm, I'm fine. That that may communicate one idea of what fine is. How how are you today? I, I'm fine. I communicate something else, or you walk up to your friend, and you walk up, and you, and you say, hey, how are you today? And they say, I'm fine. I communicate something completely different, right? We have a lack of nuance in the English language, and so if we go back and we look, and if you read our blog post for this week, you already got kind of a sneak uh, peek into this. In English, the, if you look up just the standard definition of what joy is, it will say this, joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness which is one of our problems because we define joy in the English language based solely on a feeling over things in which you have generally no control. When you walk out of the room, how do you walk out or walk out of your house? You get in your car, you're going to go to work. How do you walk out of your car and, and walk in, not walk out of your car, hopefully, but how do you get in your car and start the new day and then say to yourself, today I am going to have a perpetual feeling of great pleasure and happiness. How are you going to do that? <laughs> I don't know how you do that. I don't know how to do that. And the problem with the English definition of happiness is it's very passive. It's stuff that happens to you that you don't have control over. And so when we as the church say, if you're sad, that means something's off with you and God. Then we confuse a whole lot of people who are sad. who don't understand why. I don't think things are off. I've not done anything that I think would put me off with God, but... But I am not feeling great pleasure or happiness at the moment, so maybe something is wrong with me. And what we do often within the church is we hold to the level of joy a subservient understanding of happiness. They're not the same. But see, in the English language, we're not really good at differentiating. That's why we use these words interchangeably, but we don't necessarily know what they mean or, or how to understand them differently. How does a person going through great grief experience joy, which is possible. How does a person who is going through great disappointment still walk through their day with joy, even there there's no pleasure in that moment? See, happiness requires everything to fall into a line in the way that it brings you great pleasure. And, and even then, two people go through the exact same thing. One experiences pleasure, one experiences great displeasure going through the same experience. For example, when I take Malia to Chuck E. Cheese, same experience. One of us has great pleasure. One of us has great displeasure. I'll let you figure out which one is which. It's the problem with the English language. Last week when we talked about sadness, I, I shared some of Ecclesiastes, which tells us it's writ written by an individual by the name of Colette. And, and as he goes through and describes who he is, we immediately find out this guy is 
Solomon, the wisest man said to have lived in all the world, and he opens the book of Ecclesiastes with just this really unhappy intro that says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. In Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 1, it says, there's an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. In other words, you know what is really evil is, the, uh, is to have all this stuff and not be able to enjoy it. Sometimes we look at celebrities and we, look at, and we think this is kind of what they're going through when, when we find out how down and depressed and struggling they are, how many escaping behaviors they've added into their lives, whether it be some form of addiction or something else, in which they're trying to escape the reality that they are not happy with their lives, even though when we look at them, we think they have everything. They have fame and they have power and they have wealth. And they, they, Have you seen the pool at their fifth house? They have everything, and yet we find... Many people who have much themselves do not actually get to enjoy them. Solomon says this is the great evil is to have things that can bring joy, but yet you can't experience the joy in them. I I think there are many of us that fall into this category and exactly what Solomon is thinking and saying. There are so many opportunities for joy every day within your life, and yet we can't reach them, touch them, experience them. He calls that a grievous evil. The English language disappoints us when we talk about joy. So let's go to the Greek language. And by the way, the the Old Testament was not written in Greek. Jesus would not have been teaching in Greek. And the fact that we have a Bible and we refer to the Greek, we recognize that that is coming kind of a post-dispersion moment in which after Rome seizes and destroys Israel, wipes it off the face of the map, and Jews scatter to the far winds, which is what we call the diaspora or the dispersion. What we look back now at church history, we find this is how the gospel spread throughout the world was for Israel to be decimated. That was how the gospel was going to go out into the world. So as we kind of look at this story and we look at the Greek understanding, that is laid upon the story of faith that we find in Scripture. Most Greek versions of the text that we have actually came from the Latin that was then translated into Greek, and then from that Greek, things are translated into English. That original Latin translation that brought it together was called the Vulgate. In Greek, there's a word called chara, and it means this, to rejoice, be glad, full of joy, which I like better than the English translation, because at least in the Greek translation or the Greek definition, what we have is something active, something we can do. There's a part that we can play, whereas in the English definition of joy, it's just something that happens to us. So hopefully we live a life that allows enough joy to happen to us passively that we're happy. At least in the Greek, they say you've got to go after it. This is something you've got to chase after. You've got to explore experience. You've got to Look for yourself, but even then it's still somewhat lacking in our understanding of, well, what is joy then? We, so if we roll back to Hebrew and we understand the reason we roll back to Hebrew is because this is the 
context in which Jesus begins to talk about joy is within the Hebrew texts. All the New Testament stuff comes after Jesus is gone. The context in which Jesus would teach, that's all in the Old Testament. That's all in the Hebrew. And there are three primary words we find in the Hebrew talking about joy. The first one, Gil, is is this. Listen, I love this definition. Choosing to rejoice before God. Which now means joy is a choice. It's interesting. Joy is a choice. And we still have to do some more digging here because even with the idea that joy is a choice makes some of us feel better, especially if we are feeling great pleasure and happiness. Oh, yeah, I choose joy. Sometimes we buy the little coffee cup or the magnet to put on the refrigerator that says, choose joy. But even that is so simplistic, it's hard to hang our whole understanding of what joy is on just a simple choice. But I do love that the Hebrew gives us some words and some language that says joy is somewhat in your control. I like that. Second word that we find in the Hebrew language is simcha. And it means celebrating God's blessings. The word blessing often, if we go back and we look at the original Hebrew for the word that's used to translate to blessing, is the same word that they use to say happy. Blessed, happy. Simcha says we're celebrating God's blessings, those things in which God has granted us with that brings us happiness. But is there, even within these definitions, is there room for sadness? Is there room for grief and mourning? Is there room for things to fall apart? Is there room to feel like there's no future? Is there room to suffer with great depression and anxiety in this choosing of joy? Is celebrating God's blessings. There's a third word in the Hebrew that they translate into joy, and it's samyak. Similarly, it says joy in all God had done. So if we wrap those together in, in, the, in the ancient Hebrew, in the Old Testament, in the time in which Jesus was in the environment teaching, their understanding of joy was that it was a choice in which we celebrated the things that we not only received from God, but the ways we have been blessed by God. And when we begin to understand it through that language, we begin to understand that sometimes joy, like I can be exceedingly happy the things God has given me while I'm going through a moment where I feel like my heart is breaking. See, happiness has no room for that. Happiness has no rooms for, room for a broken heart, but joy does. Happiness has no room for you to say my life is, is, is going downhill, but joy Joy does. Happiness has no place for when your brother or your best friend or your mother or your whoever passes away. Happiness, see, they don't have a place to put that, but joy has a place for that. But not when we mistakenly translate joy as a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. So we have to dig deeper. We have to understand more. We have to see where is this going. Joy is different than happy. Happy only allows one of two options, happy or sad. There's no in-between. 
It's either good or it's bad. There's no good and bad. It's one or the other. You can't be happy with things that are bad unless secretly you think they're good. It's very bipolar. Joy has room for all of the bad stuff. I remember one time we went to Disney World and we had a mix of experiences there. We went with extended family. Every time we get together with extended family, we have a good time, which means we don't go very often. But we went one year, and the kids were really little, and it was Jonathan's. Malia wasn't born yet. She wasn't with us yet. And Jonathan, he was just a, he was just a little little tyke. The, the other kids were getting older, and, and they were having a blast, and they were playing with their cousins and having a good time. And that was a very interesting trip because on that trip, a number of bad things happened. <laughs> One night, as we're experiencing the fireworks and the parade and all the things that you're supposed to do when you go to Disney World, all of a sudden, a torrential storm just comes all over Orlando, and, and we're caught in it, and we are literally the farthest point from the entrance that we need to get to in order to leave, and so it was it was really this kind of comedy for us to, to jump from building to building to try to go the entire length of Disney World in order for us to get to our car, and then you still have to get onto the tram, and then you have to get from the tram to your car in this torrential downpour. We were so soaked. We were, we were wet. I thought our, the interior of our car is ruined. I mean, we it was just we got to the car. It was miserable, just miserable. There's another moment, and we were, I think it was, it was the Buzz Lightyear ride. I probably still have it. I, I don't know if it's still there or not. But we were in the line for the Buzz Lightyear ride. And the challenge is when you have, a, you know, we were young adults at the time. I mean, I still like to think of myself as a young adult. But we were a lot younger then. And so sometimes you have to kind of gauge the time you spend when you go to a, a park. Like, I'm going to go do these things with the kids because this is what they want to do. But there's some stuff I want to do too, right? I want to ride some of the bigger roller coasters. They're not tall enough to ride, but... Most of our time is spent making sure the kids have their experience, and we go into the Buzz Lightyear ride. I think it was a Buzz Lightyear ride, and as we kind of wind around the turnstiles, and we finally get into the building, and we're kind of moving around, and we're all talking because we've got three big families, four big families there with us, and we look around, and we realize Jonathan's not with us anymore, <laughs> and, and and we're just looking, and we're like, what what? Jonathan, Jonathan, and you, if you've ever lost a child anywhere, you know that feeling of, 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 you know, like kind of immediate despair and just terror and yeah. And so, so, so I bolted back out through the line to get out and, and Jonathan there, he is standing with one of the employees there at Disney world, just kind of holding, waiting for the parents who weren't paying attention to come show up and, and he's just bawling and he is crying and he is just scared to death. And, you know, and I just feel like a complete failure as a father. And I look down and I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, what could have happened? What if somebody had taken off with him? And how could I have let this done? And every parent here is looking at me like, yeah, you are the worst parent there's ever been to Disney world. I'm thinking all those things at the moment. And I just kind of picked him up and brought him back and held him and he calmed down. We went and rode the road and he was fine. We had all kinds of things that happened. That particular trip, we had a, we had some kind of a, a meal plan in which, you know, we, we've never like had just an abundance of money, but especially when we were younger, 
Like we just, it was paycheck to paycheck. And so we saved everything we could to pay for this meal plan. And we had so many snacks and so many meals and we had figured it out. If we save our snacks, by the time our meal plan runs out, we can then use our snacks. And I'm just going to tell you, if that's part of your strategy for getting through Disney World, you will go hungry because you cannot fill up on snacks what comes with that plan. I don't even know if they still have that plan. That was over three days. That was a three-day period of time, people. We experienced all that over three days. But you know what? Even today when we look back, we have so many wonderful memories and stories about that trip. When I think about that trip, my heart is full. I I am happy. I'm thinking about all the great things that happened because joy gives you the opportunity to experience it and a torrential downpour and losing your son, which clearly I would not have so many happy memories had I not found him. (laughs) Or knowing that we're out of money, we're broke. Like we can't spend any more money because then we won't have groceries for next week. But yet we look back on that and what a fun trip that was. See, joy gives you that opportunity. Happiness does not. It's one or the other. You then have to go through and say, oh, that was a happy moment. Oh, that was not. That was a happy moment. Oh, that was terrible. See, joy has a place for all of it under one roof. Are we experiencing that today, us, today? If we go back to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, <laughs> He doesn't really encourage us to pursue this definition of happiness the way we do. In Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon says this, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. In other words, there are so many bad things in the world. You should find joy in the things that you do for work. This is God's gift to you. Now we have two listeners to Ecclesiastes 3. We have the ones who enjoy their work and we have the ones who don't. (laughs) And you read this passage through the lens of whatever your experience is. In other words, I love my job. Solomon is so right. It is a gift from God when you enjoy what you do. But what about the person who hates their job? Or you're just barely making it or isn't making it. I have no joy in my job. I don't like what I do. I don't even make enough to enjoy my life when I get off of work. You know, what Solomon seems to be saying is this. There is so much trouble and sadness in the world. You should find joy every place you can, even in your work. This is God's gift to you. It's a gift. A few verses later, he says this, more encouraging. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, excuse me, even there was wickedness. I I laid in my heart, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man 
And what happens to the beast is the same. No one dies, or as one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? In other words, and the end of the day for all of us, this, all, this life is going to end. So enjoy what you do. Take moments to choose joy. Take moments to find the joy in the work that you do, in the lives that you lead. Even in the midst of sadness and heartache and distress. We don't know what's coming after us. So take joy in the now. Take joy in what's happening right now. Ecclesiastes 8, he says... There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. In other words, there are really good people that really bad things happen to, and there are really bad people that really good things happen to. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Again, joy brings meaning to life no matter what life brings to us. Do you feel that? Do you experience that? As you get ready for work on Monday, do you approach Monday with an expectation of joy? Most of us do not. There's great joy. What we find as we read through Solomon is that sadness is actually the fertile ground that gives joy its meaning. See, without sadness, we can't truly experience joy. Without seeing how bad things can be, we can't actually value how good things can also be. If things are always good, then we take them for granted. We become accustomed to them. They become just something we expect or we feel entitled to. But it is the things of great sadness that propel us to those feelings of great happiness. It's a perspective in which we... We see them all. Sadness is the fertile ground that gives joy its meaning. Third thing I said I wanted to share with you is that it's hard to grow without joy. And as we've seen so far, you can't have joy unless you drag sadness with it. <laughs> so you really can't grow without sadness or joy. It's interesting. I, leaders, some of our contemporary leaders have understood this. And I remember one time Rick Warren, who... Uh, leads one of the largest churches in the world, has has been quoted as saying, I will not hire a staff member if they have not been through a season of great suffering. Think about that. How many personnel committees, how many human resource groups will say, okay, I see on your resume lots of good things, but I don't see any suffering here. I don't think you qualify. <laughs> I find great great hope in that. Because the reality is suffering is not an indication of failure. Suffering is an indication of growth. 
So when we can suffer and we can suffer well, we can grow and we can become something more. But when we don't know suffering, then we kind of skate through life, jumping from one good moment to the next, avoiding every bad moment we can. But it is the bad moments that cause us to grow as well as the good ones. I think one of the reasons that James says count it a joy when you experience troubles of all kinds because he's saying if you avoid sadness, you will never find completion in your life. You'll never experience that meaning. So when you do life with people that only talk about the good things and they never talk about the bad, you're getting the wrong picture. When we in the church and we put people up on the stage to only talk about the things that are good in their life, but never somebody to break down in tears and say, oh, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. We are giving an incomplete picture of what life is. When we say in our gospel presentations, if you will accept Jesus as your Savior, everything will be fine, everything will be good, you don't have to worry about anything because you'll not struggle again because now you have Jesus. Well, that's no different than the prosperity gospel that says, just ask God and he'll give you whatever you want. We disappoint people to the same extent. Because the first time they experience sadness, they say, oh, well, maybe I just haven't grown enough yet. But over time, they realize this was not true what they sold me. And because I'm hurting and because I'm sad, I'm walking away from the faith because I don't think it's real. When Jesus would say, what do you mean it's not real? Like what they sold you is not what I told them to sell you. This is not true at all. See, joy has room for great sadness. Even the way we talk about our faith, it, it matters. J.D. Salinger said this, happiness is a solid, joy is a liquid. I love that. Happiness is a solid, it's inflexible, it has boundaries and borders that cannot be moved. It is what it is, either you have it or you don't. There's no moving it, flexing it, changing it. It just, happiness is what happiness is, but joy, it fills everything else in even if it doesn't feel happy. You seeing a difference between joy and happiness? Happiness is something you pursue, but joy is not what we pursue. Joy's there whether we're pursuing it or not. It discovers you it comes with a deep sense of connection with God with creation with each other joy is found in the places that we often don't look what i believe is that it has a lot to do with connecting people and connecting people to god i've shared in the past a a study that jake found and shared with me the longest running study on happiness and at the end of the day they they took kind of the elite, I, I, I should have looked this up before, I can't remember who the study, I think it was Harvard, I think it was a Harvard study, and they were contrasting people who were in their um, program and were on a fast track to success, the way we describe success in America, and then they um, entered, followed a group of people that did not go to Harvard, or just kind of lived in the inner city, I believe it was New Jersey, I'll have to double check that, Jake could correct me on that. Maybe he'll pop that in the comments. What they found was that 
Success was not the indicator of happiness. Connection was. It wasn't how much money you made. It was relationships you had. And so those that were not successful in terms of American whatever, they found great happiness. We look at where, how do we find joy within our lives? How do we find that place in which we truly understand what it means to have joy? We begin to see that in every moment there's the opportunity for sadness and joy, but we have to look for one of them. One of them looks for us. This week we've been cleaning out things here at the church and we've been kind of uh, preparing for what's going to be as soon as the numbers are low enough that we can really launch things back out. And I came across a group of CDs and um, that I had had for years and I had forgotten about. They were old pictures before we took them with our phone and saved them on our phone and put them in the cloud. It reminded me of a bunch of older pictures and began to ask myself or tell myself as I w- looked through them, I just couldn't help but smile. I shared some with family, I texted some out, I, I, I showed some to the kids and to Deidre. I said, oh, look at this. And, and, you know, you hear all the wonderful comments. Oh, you looked so young there. Those are wonderful comments to hear because clearly you don't anymore. Or, oh, I can't believe I wore my hair like that. You know, those, are, those old pictures are just so much fun and, and, and bring so much joy. This connection with people and with God is one of the, the things that is the key to understanding joy and why it's the meaning of life. Some of the pictures that I found, some of my old ones, this is me in high school. You can't, you can't tell which one I am because I don't look like either one of those now, but that's my good friend Todd from high school. We were best buds. We did everything together. We thought we were the cat's meow. We thought everybody just, we thought we hung the moon. They didn't. Uh, all the girls we assumed were just falling all over us, they weren't. And uh, but this was us, two studs, getting a picture taken. I was in high school. This picture, I, I smile at it. Next one. When I was in college, again, you probably can't tell which one I am because I don't look like either one. I'm the guy in the Native American guard wearing a cowboy hat. You know, they, we played by different rules back then. But uh, this is when I worked at camp. This was the one of the. This was within a few months that I knew I was going to go into ministry for the rest of my life. And this is my friend Dave McGinley, and we hung out and had a good time. And um, I look at this picture; it just makes me smile. We we had a lot of challenges that year at camp, and uh, but this this brings me joy. Next picture. This was an old one. This was another one of those stories where we, I remember all the good things, but there were some bad things that happened this day. This is one of the pictures um, in which we decided to go around the, um, the loop at Cades Cove. Now, this isn't the exact one, um, but I still remember that little swimsuit that Emma's got on, and I remember that same face that Jake makes, and Deidre and I, we look different. Well, Deidre doesn't look so much different as I do, and, and then Jonathan... One year we went and we rode around. It was, we, when I grew up, we had a straight street, a level street. And so we would get our bikes out and we would go ride bikes and it was fun. But we've never lived on a non-hilly road. Uh, we've always been, not just a hit like a little rolling hill, like a steep hill. And, and so we had taken the kids down to a school that was down at, you know, near where we lived in Red Bank. And, and we would, you know, we finally got them riding and uh, we decided, you know what you should do once every kid is now able to stay up on their bike? They should bike the, 
the loop at Cades Cove because, you know, that's the, clearly the next progressive step once they can stay up on two wheels. So we did that, and, and we were all told if you go early, then you could get there before all the cars are there, and it's easier and more fun, and it's easier with kids because every kid was on their own bike. Not this trip, but another one. And as what often happens with young families, we got there later than we anticipated. <laughs> and there were cars everywhere. And our kids could stay up at the playground at the school, but especially Jonathan, it was a real struggle because some of those hills are tough, and then you've got cars coming just blazing past you. That was a terribly stressful trip. Like we were just, we hoped we could get, our, and once you get so far, because in the beginning, you're like, you know what? We're going to make it happen. We're going to make this happen. But you get so far that now you're committed. It's not, you can't back out easily. So now you're like, I, so either we're going to make it all home together or somebody's going to die. We're not real sure which it is, but now we're stuck. Like you can't call an Uber to come pick you up. It was a terribly stressful trip, but yet as we look back at the last time we went to Kay's Cove, which was just this past spring, guess which story we talked about as we drove around the loop? Because even in that moment of great stress, they brought great memories because we all made it alive, as you know. <laughs> Sometimes sadness makes joy even better. Next one. This is Jake, long time ago. My kids don't know I'm showing these. I don't know if you can see these on the screen. This is me and Jake having a good time at a photo booth. I remember that picture. It just reminds me, it transports me back into those years when I would pick him up. I can't pick him up now. He picked me up now, but a lot of fun. Next picture, little Emma. Like she's not even your she's not even your daughter, but you have the exact same reaction I do when I see that picture. Oh, how cute. You just want to hug her and pick her up and she's got her diva heart sunglasses on just brings joy good memories next one here's another memory this was a few years ago we had a box of cookies can you guess who ate the last cookie and left a note in the empty cookie container that she put back in the pantry that said simply ha ha exclamation point I'll give you a hint. It's the one with a very satisfied grin on her face. I remember I went, it was, we were eating dinner. I went in, I got the thing of cookies, and I sat down, and she was waiting, watching me with her eyes as I came around and set it down, opened it, and then that look came over her face. Just a day, just a dinner. Nothing special about this moment. We weren't celebrating anything. It wasn't a birthday. It wasn't anything noteworthy other than in this moment it brought great joy, even though I didn't get a cookie. All right, next one. Here's Jonathan. This was on our visit to California a few years ago in which we went to visit my aunt, and we, we heard there was a purple beach. And so my picture was kind of this cartoonish, like a beach that's deep purple in Big Sur. And, and so we went and we looked, and we, so we, there is some purple. 
it's kind of hard to see, but there is some purple. So we got a picture of Jonathan down with the purple. And I remember that trip. I, these pictures bring me back. It's like I was just there. I tell Deidre all the time, can we just move to California? You know, everybody wants to leave. Like, I'll just take one of their empty houses. I don't, I can be a squatter. I don't care. I love California. And, uh, but this trip was so, there was so much joy wrapped up in this trip. Just seeing that. This was a little disappointing. That's not really a purple beach, although technically it is. That was such a wonderful time. He's wearing a a sweatshirt that when we went to San Francisco, it was cold. And we thought, we're in California. And we weren't prepared for how cold San Francisco was. And so we had to go to the little street vendor. And we all have the exact same San Francisco hoodie. (laughs) He's wearing it. It was so much fun. Next picture. Here's Jonathan and I. This was a trip we did for Journey, and we decided we were going to go to a soccer game together, and we went, and it rained us out. And so here we are, soaking wet. Let's let's take a selfie. And in the midst of the rained-out Journey event at the soccer field, which if you've been at Journey for any amount of time, know if we plan an event, it's probably going to rain, or whatever worst-case scenario can happen, probably that's what's going to happen. And that was such a fun night. And this picture reminds me how much fun it was hanging out with Jonathan, even in the rain. Next picture. Here's Jake. He's a little older. At one time, that was his favorite shirt, the Sriracha shirt. This was the day we bought his car. So he's super excited. It's not a, not, not, not a great car. It doesn't have most of the modern stuff on it, but it was a car, and he was excited. We were driving it back. It's a great, great uh picture. Yeah, it's a forerunner. No, we, we know how to buy them. But uh, that, the nice thing about older pictures is they you miss all the scratches and dents and blemishes. But still driving that car today. He's super excited. That was such a fun time. I remember that. It was not fun paying for it, but it was a lot of fun doing it with Jake. Next picture. Of course, this is one of our beach trips, little Malia. She first came to live with us and uh, that smile, I've shown many pictures of her in the past where she just lights up a room and we're here eating dinner at an outside um, place just on the beach. And that moment is just a lot of joy, a lot of fun. Is that my last one? My point in showing you those is that in many of those pictures, some, some not so fun things happened, some not so happy things happened. And yet they all bring me great joy today. There's a reality that in your life you can choose to only see what is sad or you can choose in each moment to find that piece of joy in which you see what God has given us. One time we went backpacking. I went with my brother-in-law and I have great relationships, great brother-in-laws. We enjoy spending time together. We have a lot of fun together. We laugh a lot together. We went backpacking one time and, and, uh, it was it snowed. I, I, he he was more experienced um, than I was at backpacking at the time. It was one of my first trips that I went with him, and he said, "So it's going to be around 50 degrees. So when you go backpacking, what I had learned is is you don't bring anything extra. Like you don't want to carry anything extra. So I brought clothes for 50 degrees. Well, it dropped down to 28 degrees, and it snowed." And I had 50-degree clothes and only like one change of clothes. So it's not like I could even layer that much. We brought a friend, his name was Clay, and Clay's wife had said, you've got these rubber boots sitting in your, in our shed out here. If, when you come, if you don't take these boots on this trip, when you come back, they will not be here. So he brought the boots. They were strapped to his backpack, never wore them once. They were made of rubber, 
And in 28-degree weather with lots of snow on the ground, we tried to burn his boots in a snowy fire pit. Not, don't tell the EPA, (laughs) but it didn't work. It was too wet. It was too cold. We ended up at 4.30 in the afternoon getting in our sleeping bags, in our tents, and just huddling up. It was not what you would consider a successful trip in most people's eyes. That was 20 years ago, and I still remember that trip like it was yesterday. There's moments of joy that you find in these times in which sadness does not overtake you. You don't use the lens of sadness to interpret all the things that you go through. Instead, you use the lens of blessing to at least search out where is a place of joy, which usually will be in the relationships with the people that you do life with, not in the situation that you find yourself in any given time. Does it make you think of any other verses in Scripture that we might use fairly often about relationships and faith and what Jesus says faith and a relationship with God is all about? It's usually about relationships. Those relationships get me, give meaning to our lives. Some of the things that Solomon teaches us is that there's a time in which we all live and then we all die. Sometimes people who are really bad people have really good things happen to them. And some people who are really good have bad things happen to them. You should take every moment to get every piece of joy out of this life while you can, wherever you are, whether it's at work or whether it's at home or whether it's on the weekend or wherever you are, find the place for joy, gather it up and hold it close because there's plenty of sadness to go around. We live in that sad world. Jesus says this in John 16. He says a little while, and I'm going to jump from 16 to 30, or from verse 16 to verse 33, but we're going to do a lot of skipping because it's a long passage. But he says this a little while, and you will see me no longer, and again in a little while, and you will see me. He's talking to them right before his crucifixion. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father... And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. As I shared last week, we have a whole book called Lamentations, How to Lament. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world, which is what I've just been sharing with you for the last 30 minutes. Where sadness and happiness can experience life together as joy. So also you should, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. No one will take your joy from you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and I have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Verse 32, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered. He's talking about the diaspora that's going to happen about 40 years later. You will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
See, when Jesus talks about joy, he doesn't separate it out from the tribulation. He says, in the midst of it all, you will have joy. Because I have overcome the world. The first psalm, the first word of the first psalm, it's translated the word blessed, which as I have shared is one of the Hebrew words for happiness. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Why would how would he say that they delight in the law of the Lord? We don't understand that because we don't ever read the law of the Lord. Like that's Old Testament stuff. But if you go through and you read the law, the law is basically situated into two things, how to love God and how to love people. Which is why Jesus said, all of the law can be summed up in this, love God with all your heart and love people as you love yourself. All of the law is like that. If you got a hole in your front yard and an ox falls in it, buy the guy a new ox. Like we shouldn't need a law for that, right? That's just being a good neighbor. But that's what the psalmist is writing. He follows the law. He delights in the law. He reads the law. He wants to know the law because it helps him to have joyful relationships with other people. Fourth thing, last thing I want to share with you, and then I'm going to wrap up. This is going to be quick. The last one took a while. This one's going to be quick. God's kingdom can't grow without it. What do I mean by that? Who wants to follow a Jesus when his followers constantly saying, woe is me? What to tell you about Jesus? Jesus will make all your dreams come true, but every post we put on Facebook is, woe is me. Who wants that? Who wants that? Like, I can have that without Jesus, Right? And the reality is, is we can't grow the kingdom if the people who follow Jesus don't experience joy. And in our context here in the United States of America, where our definition of joy is feeling of great pleasure and happiness, we misunderstand what joy really is. And so we've got to go deeper. We've got to make room for the sadness. We've got to make room for the anxiety. We've got to make room for the great despair and disappointment that life can bring. We've got to make room for that under the umbrella of joy. Now, it's not simply semantics. It's not simply saying, oh, man, life is so bad. I'm so happy about it. That's not what we want to do. But you've got to find a new way of understanding joy, and the new way is the old way, the way that they talked about it long ago because they understood what joy was. We do not. The key to joy, I believe, and the key to our faith, because this is how Jesus says the kingdom is going to grow here on earth, 
The key to joy is in relationships, period. Period. It's not in doing the right things. It's not in your behavior. It's not making sure that you don't make a mistake. It's not, you know, hiding your failures, hiding your sadness, hiding your despair. The key to joy is relationships. That's the key. You can get through anything with people around you. Jesus says this is what loving God and loving people is. This is why he said we're supposed to love our neighbor. That's why the parable of the good, the good Samaritan. Who's your neighbor? Everybody. Love them. Do good by them. Because relationships are the key to joy. And Jesus did say the law can be summed up in this. Love me and love each other. And then he goes on to talk about how the kingdom is going to expand. And he says in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, like there's so many things he could have said. Like if you can memorize all of scripture, if you can heal a blind man, then they will know you're my disciples. He doesn't say that. He just says, if you love one another, they will know. They will know. How can anyone believe that God is good if his people cannot live in a sad world with exceedingly great joy? How can we believe God is good if, yes, we live in a sad world. There's lots of sad things. And when there's money to be made in a media empire by pushing sad events, then the world's going to get even sadder, which most studies bear out that we are seeing a decline in the mental health of people in general. We push sad stuff. How can we tell people that God is good if we buy into all the sadness, but we don't ever demonstrate joy in the midst of that sadness? This is what uh, a rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, says. I love his title is even better. I'll get to that in a minute. He says this, joy lives not in thoughts of tomorrow but in the grateful acceptance and celebration of today. We are here. We are alive. We are among others who share our sense of jubilation. We are living in God's land, enjoying his blessing, eating the produce of his earth. This is a rabbi talking about Israel. Watered by his rain, brought to fruition under his son, breathing the air he breathed into us, living the life he renews in us each day. And yes, we do not know what tomorrow may bring. And yes, we are surrounded by enemies. And yes, it was never the safe or easy option to be a Jew. But when we focus on the moment, allowing ourselves to dance, sing, and give thanks, when we do things for their own sake, not only any other reward, when we let go of our separateness and become a voice in the Holy City's choir, then there is joy. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. Now, I don't know who you listen to, but Rabbi holds some weight when you care about the experience of the Jewish people and Old Testament. Rabbi Lord, <laughs> that holds some weight. He has that title because he was also part of the House of Lords in the United Kingdom. Talking about the history of Israel. We're experiencing all of this. We're breathing in the air in which he breathed into us. We're, we're living off the land in which he created and he, he prepared for us. He renews us. We're surrounded by people who want to wipe us out. We allow ourselves to dance, sing, and give 
thanks. Here's what I want to leave you with. Embrace all of the feels. Emotions aren't meant to be discarded because they're unpleasant. Um, Embrace them all. Take them all in. Joy takes them all in. Embrace all the feels. Second thing, invest greatly in the people around you. Your family, your friends, your church family, the people you work with. Invest in them because they are the fertile soil in which joy often grows. Be fully present and find joy in every moment that you possibly can, even when you go to Disney World and you lose your son. <laughs> or you go biking on the loop at the at Cades Cove and you think we might not make it out of here without getting run over by a car. Find the joy in every one of those moments or when you go to a soccer game and it rains you out, but you get to hang out under the eve with one of your kids. Find joy in every moment that you possibly can. Remember that this life is short, but the life to come is eternal. Find those places for joy today. And I want to finally leave you with one more verse from King Solomon and his rant slash ray of hope. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Or as we understood last week, meaningless or as we sprayed the bottle vapor or a mist everything else in life is just a mist it's here and then it's gone so if you live many years because not not everybody does if you live many years rejoice in them all find those moments of joy share them with others and in that we will see the kingdom grow because the author of joy in our lives is our savior Father, I pray for those that are experiencing not exceedingly great joy today, but exceedingly great sorrow. You've given us eyes to see and ears to hear the moments in which we can find great joy. And so, Father, I pray that um, that will be the very reality for them today. I pray that we would go out from this place not ignoring or trying to pretend that we aren't sad, but We look for those moments to lock away to find happiness in. We see a sunset. We see a sunrise. We see a child run and play. We have fun with our family pet. We go to work and we accomplish something. We didn't know we were going to be able to accomplish, but we did. I pray that as we enter into each day, even tomorrow on a Monday, we walk out and as we see the sun coming up, if that's our experience, we look and we know that you yourself have created that and you have brought it into our lives that you were shining down on us, inviting us into a relationship that gives every other relationship meaning. And Father, I pray that we would be a people, that we embrace all of the, the emotions that we go through, but we will see them and understand them through the lens of joy. Let us find those moments in each and every day, and let us find them in you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.